Today on Inside the Ropes, rising Aussie champ Suo swings by for a chat about the LPGA Tour season ahead. And Gavin Kirkman, the boss of the Australian PGA, outlines a bold new plan for what he hopes the summer of Australian golf might look like into the future. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes episode number 162, great to be here, great to have your company with us, big show today, Suo about to join us, Gavin Kirkman, uh, CEO of the PGA to join us a bit later on as well, Mark Hayes is here in his customary reclining position on that uh, that off-white couch of his at home, hello Hazy. Hey Mario, I think it's actually the cream or the base today, I'm not sure, but yeah. Have you got- Got those dogs of yours under control today? They're not uh, yapping away in the background, are they? Giving them a leaf pass today, so we should be good to go. Nice. Mike Clayton joins us from uh, his coastal retreat. Hello, Clates. Andy, how are you? Hey, good, I'm, mate. How are you going? Bearing up all right? Beautiful, beautiful down here. The storms have blown through, and I can look out almost across the Andrews Beach Golf Course wishing I was out there. It's actually lovely, right. isn't it? We come, we come out of summer, everything's green, and there's water all over the place. It's, a, it's sort of an unusual. We're normally begging for a bit of rain for our uh, vegetation and golf courses and our, our waterways at this time of year, but they're, uh, they're all pretty full cool at the moment. It's kind of nice. And the golf courses will be in good shape when we come back. No divots. Well, that's no right. one's that one's ruined take, the bunkers. That won't take. Bunkers well, will be smooth. We'll talk about that in a moment. There's some sort of R&A recommendations about the bunkers when we do come back post-COVID-19. So we'll have a chat about that uh, when we get there. But it's always a delight to have one of the country's finest young players with us. Um, and, of course, we talk about Sue O, who, in the age of partial lockdown, has been good enough to join us. G'day, Sue. Hey, Andy. How's it going? We're going okay. How are you going, more to the point? We're always keener to find out how people in your position are travelling rather than us. Yeah, I've been doing all right. I was in the US like in March because I went over a little bit early just to get accustomed. And well, Thailand and Singapore got cancelled. So I was home for two weeks and I thought I'll just head over early to the West Coast, see my coach. And then I got there and then like, I think it was a day or two days later, they said uh, all the lockdowns happening and Australia's like closing our borders. So I was like, okay, like on the fourth day, I just came home. So that's I think that's like six weeks ago now. So just been chilling inside. Um, been going for runs and I don't know, just doing things like have I have like a routine which I never have. It's like it's weird. Is it kind of is there? Uh, you'd rather be playing, obviously, but is it something nice about this kind of forced layoff? Just a time to sit down, relax, let the body refresh itself, and let the mind do likewise. Uh, I think it's like, I don't know. I think my mind hasn't really rested because it's not really an off season. Like there's so much speculation and just everyone's trying to guess when the tour is going to start. Um, they said it was supposed to start in June, but they've pushed it back a little bit now. So I mean, if it started in June, it's definitely not going to be ready. It wasn't actually very good for my, uh, mental health because I was just like staying indoors and everybody else like is practicing in the US that people are practicing in Korea they're practicing it's just uh, Victoria right now um, so that's just been hard but there's not really much I can do really um, it's 
it's really for everybody's benefit um, <clears throat> to stay indoors. I think, you know, US has sort of eased off their restrictions, I think. And I don't know, they've got so many people like tested positive for the virus. So I don't know. I think it's just sort of sit back and not try and watch the news too much. Just do what you can do. Mm-hmm. So, Sue, have you actually thought about what going back to an LPGA to a tournament would look like for you at the moment? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it'd just be the same, like just go there and do your practice rounds. And uh, I, th- I mean, I wish it was as easy as that, um, but I'm not sure uh, how easy it is to get over there and whether we have to do, you know, two weeks of quarantine and I don't know how strict their quarantine rules are. Whereas, you know, when I got home from the US, I literally stayed at home, you know, couldn't even go grocery shopping. And um, that was just for two weeks. So if we have to do that for two weeks, um, that's just going to be hard to um, do no practice for two weeks. And then the third week to just go and play a tournament. Um, But I think that's still pretty far down the track. Um, I think we just have to see what happens and try and not guess how things happen and sort of see how it goes. Um, but hopefully they'll, we can start somewhere. Uh, I think the tough thing for us is we have, I think, one or two events in the US so far, and then we go over to Europe. So if we have to go to Europe and then do another two weeks of quarantine, then, you know, the schedule is just not going to work if we have to keep doing two weeks of quarantine. You know, we're never in one city for, we're only in one city for a week. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully we'll be able to play golf in a few weeks' time and I'll just, you know, practice and keep my social distance and it'll be all right. Not the worst position, to be honest, I don't think. There are many people who's in worse positions than me. Or are we assuming, sorry, are we assuming that they won't start unless everyone can get to the tournament and play the tournament? So if, you know, if, for example, the Japanese players aren't allowed out of Japan or the Koreans aren't allowed into America or the Europeans can't get out, then they won't start until everyone who's eligible to play can play? I was thinking of giving uh, Mike one or just sending an email to LPGA, but I still think that so far, like, they still don't know. Um, They've got so much to figure out right now than if people are going to be able to come in, you know, like with visas as well. Like, I think the U.S. has said no more green cards for the time being. Um, Does that mean, you know, there's no more S-star visas that that can travel? Is it like B-1s, you know, which which visas are allowed back into the country if you're a foreigner. Um, so I think it's just because not every, I mean, all the players have a P1 visa, which is a working visa. But there are many people who just has like a business visa or just business slash holiday visa. So I think it's, um, you know, who can actually come into the country. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're just going to have to see. But I hope that they... I doubt they can, they won't, I hope they don't start a tournament when um, people still can't travel. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a bit unfair. Um, so I think our so first they, event right now is the Dow event, which is the team's event. So 
Greeny and I are just hoping that we'll be able to go over there and play that as our first event. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good, it's a good question though, Clates. You, you wonder, <clears throat> the fear, is the fear, and this is a question for, for all you three, but is the, is the fear that, you know, the kind of American tours are, you know, relatively American-centric, that they might just decide, okay, well, if, if we've got manoeuvrability in our, in our, within our borders, um, then we'll just go and, and whenever anybody else can kind of rejoin, so be it. Is that, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was the way that um, the American tours decided to get their ball rolling. Well, except the women's tours, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would have thought half of the LPGA top 100 were, were foreign players, inverted so, commas. So, Sue, how many of those players live in America? Do you know? Well, I mean, just off the top of your head, would, would, you, have a, would you have a sense for that? Um, yeah, I'd say probably like a handful of players. I'm not sure exactly, but most people have gone back to their own country. Um, I think there's a few that live in the, that are in Florida, but I think that's mainly the girls that actually live there most of the time. Um, but everyone's gone back home. Um, but... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but I think everyone. When when I was leaving, I was were already there with a few other players, and we were kind of worried. Like, hey, what if the tour starts and we're not going to be able to come back in? Mm. But we're just hoping. Like, it's such a global tour that hoping like the tour can't start without having everybody there or a- able to come in to the country and play the tournaments. Andy, I get that exact feel that Sue just said there, as opposed to the PGA Tour, which is, I'd say, decidedly more American-centric. Uh, and the vast majority of the players on that tour are the top-notch Americans who have huge say through the Player Advisory Council that Sue and her peers would be much better off on the LPGA Tour knowing exactly what she just said. And they've been, we saw at Royal Adelaide this year when the tour was still on, and I'm sure Sue was part of it, the LPGA brass were actually reaching out to all the sponsors through Asia in particular. And that was to do primarily with the two cancelled tournaments that Sue referenced before. But um, they're really adamant about keeping all the sponsors um, in, in, in the picture. And a lot of those sponsors on the LPGA tour are international sponsors. So particularly in Asia, so it would serve no purpose for them to uh, play a, a domestic tour. In yeah, my yeah, opinion. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned before you're pretty kind of uh, you, you, you clearly have an understanding as to why we're in this situation we're in and we're all trying to do the right thing. But is there an underlying anxiety for you now that we're getting closer and you can't get out on golf courses here in Victoria? You're still using whatever mechanisms you can to to hit a golf ball and have a putt, but you can't get out on golf courses. Is there an anxiety that's sort of building inside you that others around the world can do that, but but you can't? Um, yeah, definitely. Like I have like my good days and my bad days. Um, but I've actually, you know, dad kind of built this like indoor net thing in the backyard. So, um, and I ordered a truck man, which actually, this is a funny story. I ordered it on the 6th of April and because they were, it was coming from Denmark, all the track, track man's come from Denmark and, um, there were no planes coming back into the country for the trackman to be on. So it was sent to like LA. So it's been on hold for ages. And I think it got into Australia on like the 20, 25th or 23rd of April. Um, 
and somehow the postcode it was like a whole story and it's still not here but I'm hoping to get it this week so uh, it's taken a month to get my track man so it should come by the time you know the golf course hopefully reopens I don't know but um, since other states have reopened schools and things so we're hoping the golf courses will open pretty soon um, but I think there was um, quite a few cases in Victoria uh, the last 24 hours so I'm not sure but um, hopefully the, the golf courses will be a little bit um, more open for like pros and elite amateurs to allow us to practice more within the social distancing guidelines. Um, I get that, you know, we, it's a tough time, but it's kind of, well, it is my job. So hopefully they'll allow me to practice a little bit longer than the average member or, um, you know, be just be able to play a bit more on the golf course by myself for a bit long. I mean, there shouldn't be much reason to not be able to play golf by myself if I'm not, if there's no flagstick or bunker like rakes or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but I think everyone's sort of anxious, kind of not sure yeah. what to do, but uh, yeah. it's not just me. Um, I've actually been able to do some swing changes with my coach, Dana. Uh, I've, we've, I've done some FaceTime lessons and uh, it's kind of good to just work on your swing when you can't see the ball flight because um, you know, we have our schedule is so long, like January to November, and then I have December off. So it's kind of, a, I found it, hopefully, it was a good change. We'll see. But I've uh, been just doing some swing changes. And, um, and my coach, Dana, does a lot of online lessons, even previous to the COVID 19 crisis um, or pandemic. Um, so his lesson have worked really well I used to send him videos and we do some FaceTime lessons and he's like just do this that and do some mirrors and yeah so that's been kind of good so I've been able to do some changes to my swing that um I haven't been able to do because it was kind of almost of too big of a change um but I just found this time to be a good time to do swing changes and putting into a short game I don't know we'll just have to see <laughs> So, so two parts to that, Sue. One and one to do specifically with the changes. What are they? And the second thing is with a new schedule. Um, looks like the tour championships going right out to, you know, nearly Christmas. What does that do to your next off season if things pan out like this? And does it pro- does it prohibit you from doing any future changes in the foreseeable future? Um, at this point, um, to answer your second question first, I'm. I have no problems with the schedule. I would love to play as many as possible. Um, if you don't want to play, don't play. If it's too you know, far in December, then don't play. Um, but I'm really happy that we all are, you know, LPGA has That's been cool. able to move around with the sponsors, being very cooperative and, um, you know, giving us the best possible opportunity to play um, so that's been really thankful and hopefully we'll be able to play all of that. I think the tour champs have moved to like to finish on the 20th of December. So just in time for Christmas, I guess, by the time I come home. Um, but with the swing changes with Dana, uh, it was mostly to do with, um, I'm really bad at explaining, but I'm going <laughs> to give it a try. Um, just a lot to do with how like transition my hips move transition um, but it's so quick it's such a quick movement that it's really it's been hard to 
fix while I'm playing golf, like while I'm playing a tournament. Um, but just, yeah, because <laughs> I, I tend to sort of like, like straighten up as people, if you, as people may call it like getting out of posture um, at impact. So sort of working on that. Um, and what else have you been doing? Like we're all sort of scratching around trying to find ways to get through days and, um, you know, keep ourselves um, happy and fresh and in a sane frame of mind. What, away from thinking about golf and, and whatever practice you have been able to do, what, what else have you been doing? Um, I've been able to – I feel like previously I've sort of been like running around everywhere trying to get things done. Um, but – I feel like I've always done like two or three things, but just longer period, you know, like I would go to the gym and then I'd be at the golf course for a long period of time and then come home and don't really do much. But I feel like I'm trying to like fit in so many different things in one day, like little things, but I've been taking it really slow. Like I'd wake up and um, I really like doing yoga. So I'd do like a little bit of yoga for like 20 minutes to wake myself up and and I'd have my cup of coffee, have breakfast, go for a run, and then come home. Um, and then I hit some balls, lunch, and go grocery shopping and cook a little bit. So I don't know, the days have kind of been filling and sort of, you know, writing emails and doing some stuff that I haven't been able to do. So, yeah, just little things, I guess. I think we're all doing that. Day out. We're all doing that. Can, yeah, can just can, trying not to burn the kitchen down. Much. <laughs> that's a good, it's a good ambition. <laughs> um, so we've got to ask you a completely off beam question. You can see the great man's face on our Skype screen, and I know you're very familiar with him. But you need to tell us a couple of secrets of the Mike Clayton caddying style because we've been meaning to ask you this for years now. <clears throat> Some secrets. Yeah, we need to know more about Mike Clayton the caddy. Yeah. Oh, um, I guess Mike, last time you catted for me was the Olympics, which is what, four years ago now. So he's kind of done the Olympics and he's like, okay, that's good now. I guess you caddied for me since. <laughs> we did. I think we did a Vic Open, but you can. Oh, did well, we? Yeah. But the first shot right an Australian enough. woman ever hit in the Olympic Games, I gave her the wrong club. <laughs> can, I, can, can, I reach, can I reach the bunker off the tee? On the right with a driver, no, straight in. <laughs> Six, both. Uh, <clears throat> no, um, I don't know. I think Clayton and I just play so much golf together. So we hit similar clubs and we see similar shots. And um, so it's been really good. And it was funny chatting for Sue. I would just always club her off the club I would hit pretty much. And then I caddied for Blake and Elvis and Lucas. I would take the club I would hit and take two or three off that. So it gives you kind of mm -hmm. some idea of how much longer they are than when Sue and I will hit the second at Metro as a six iron for us, basically. For Lucas, it's either a eight or a nine. So it's kind of funny how you carry for different people, but you still work off what you would do often. Is this very sure? Like, it's like, oh, you know, when you're in between clubs, um, like say, say, oh, it's like a nine or an eight, then he always just gives you a definite answer. And that kind of works with all caddies, I think. You know, most, like a good caddy sort of says, yep, 
it's an eight iron because you you never really know like it's a big nine or a little eight and it's probably not that much difference but you're just unsure so I think when someone uh, on the bag gives you a very definite answer that's always a good positive um, feeling so you can just rip it and yeah hmm. do you ever fully trust the, the only caddy on the course in in long pants though Sue <laughs> Come yeah, on. I trust Mike with all my life. Uh, <laughs> what about just on last one from me? Reading putts. Are you are you a second guesser? Do you want your caddy to help you with with reading putts? Uh, no, putting. I'm, I I normally just read it by myself. I don't know if I've asked you much quotes on the no, green, I, but I just think that's a. Unless you're a really bad green reader, that's a bad idea yeah. because it depends on the pace and how you feel. And I just never found it helped very much. But I know guys who, I mean, Tony Johnson played the European Tour for years, was a terrible reader of greens. He had no idea. He couldn't read a green to save his life. So he relied on his caddy for everything. And he was a good putter, but he was totally relying on his caddy. Whereas Nicholas or Thompson, or, I mean, they, never, they never asked a caddy anything, let alone how to read a green. But yeah, there are times when there's a part that you're not sure of that you might ask, but I always thought it was better to go with what you see and what you feel. And I know Sue so pretty much plays that way. Yeah. So we just wanted to ask you, obviously you referenced the Olympics with Clates um, and a serious question. You've obviously seen your great mate Hannah um, do so well last year and, and I guess in some ways go past you on the world rankings there into the second spot on the Olympic team with Minji. Is it high on your radar, presuming there's a bit of normality coming up to try and push to get into that Olympic team, whether it be the second or third person or even the first? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for me, yeah, for sure. Like it's kind of, I don't know, I was hoping that it'll give me more time to sort of make my way into the team. Um, But with the schedule, I I really don't know what's going to happen, but um, I think the best case scenario would be both, you know, all of us, all three of us will be able to go. Um, yeah, it's definitely on my list and we'll see what happens. Which is top 15, right? So you, you, Australia can have three players if they're in the top 15. So you've got to jump, what's that, 35 like, places? Yeah. Easy, no problem. You can do that. You can do that. <laughs> yeah, I think they. Um, it's not really the world ranking though. Um, I think there's an Olympic golf ranking that goes off, which is I think very similar to the world ranking. Mm. But yeah, they go off the Olympic golf golf ranking. Um, look after yourself. Thanks for thanks for putting up with a couple of little technical glitches with us on the way through here today. It's always a joy to catch up with you and have a chat and we're all continually excited about what's going to come next, Sue. So thanks for having a chat with us today. Um, we can't wait for you to be able to get back out there and uh, we look forward to watching when you do. Um, all the best. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Have, thanks for having me on, on the show. Uh, anytime. Sue O joining us on Inside the Ropes. We'll get a break out of the way. CEO of the PGA, Gavin Kirkman, and join us next. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Uh, welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us. Uh, always terrific to hear from Sue O, and we wish her well. Um, a man who's got a 
I imagine he's got several balls in the air at the moment trying to sort his way through all of this. this. Is Gavin Kirkman, the CEO of the PGA of Australia, and he's been good enough to join us for a chat on Inside the Ropes. Gav, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. No, thanks, Andy, and thanks, everyone. What's your if, – if of all the things that you've got going at the moment, what, what would be your number one priority, number one thing in front of you right now? Yeah, I think the, the priority for, for all the golf bodies is get the golf clubs and facilities back operating um, in safe and healthy – under safe and healthy guidelines um, and, and probably get people back playing golf, you know, at the full extent all around the country. So to that end, have you been having – any sort of dialogue ongoing with particularly the Victorian state government? That, that's clearly an area of most concern for a lot of golfers. We, we understand where we're at in Victoria compared to other parts of Australia. Have, have you been seeking clarity from, from them? Yeah, we've, we've been working with Golf Australia and I think the best thing we can do as a sport is to collaborate and have one voice. And that's one thing that we've done. You know, a, a healthy golf club for the PGA of Australia, a healthy PGA professionals being able to work in the industry. So working with Golf Australia and trying to have a unified unified voice to all the government officials is something we're working on. And, and uh, you know, through Golf Australia at the moment, their contacts um, through the ministers and, and up through to the Premier's office, you know, we've got a, a, an approach that we hope will uh, will get golf back and uh, open in Victoria at the moment. And we obviously spend so much time on a podcast like this talking about, you know, tournament golf and, and you know, golf at the very pointy end and, and pros at the very pointy end of the game. The the rank and file that, that, you know, your body represents as well is the club pros. How much anxiety is there amongst that strata of the industry at the moment? Yeah, there's, there's been a lot. Now, our focus... You know, we're 2,900 members within the PGA. Um, that's a combination of both vocational members and also the tournament members. What we did initially, we started five weeks ago. The first thing we did was got on the phone and we rang all our members um, within Australia and overseas. And we got through 2,700 calls. Um, that gave us a good insight of where our members were you know, the impact that COVID-19 was having on our members, both from a playing point of view, but also within the workplace. And that uh, allowed us to offer the support, work with them to ensure that any grants or benefits or subsidies with wage, JobKeeper has been a big plus for our members. All we wanted to do was uh, look after their welfare and support them. But the other plus, Andy, has been the engagement. A lot of our members in the downtime have got online into all our education modules, um, the association, we offered free education to all our uh, access to all all our membership. And we've got probably 1,500 of our members working hard at the moment, updating their skill sets to make sure they're in a position when golf does reopen in full extent, they're ready to go. And, Kev, can you be um, confident, like other sports at the moment are, you know, taking stock and, you know, some of the biggest codes you know, football codes in Australia are realising that they might have to cut their cloth when they come out of this. There won't be the same rivers of, of money flowing to the game to support um, the sports the way they have been able to be supported financially in the past. Are, are you hopeful or are you confident that, that when we get through this, that, that golf and the industry from an employment perspective will return to something like what, what it was prior to COVID-19? Yeah, we do, Yeah, but Again, as I, as I said earlier, Andy, I think the secret to golf, what golf will learn coming out of this is efficiencies, 
prevent duplication and and for all the peak bodies to have a good understanding of what they've got to do for the sport to um, to bring it back. So you know that's ensuring that uh, that we make sure that you know from the the Golf Managers Association and the Australian Sports Turf Management Association from their areas they're clear on what they've got to do to maintain courses and at what level to be able to fit within the 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 sustainability of golf clubs. Um, the managers we're going to have to manage different. The the PGA professionals are going to have to operate different across all the areas, whether it's coaching, game development. Um, business retail or management in, in all the streams that they work in. And then, you know, we've got to work with Golf Australia and, and Golf New South Wales and Golf WA to to ensure that as an industry and as a sport, we're, we're being agile, we're being nimble, and we've got to be adaptable for what is going to come out the other end. Mm. But on, on the positive side, you know, through, through all the states that have been um, operating through COVID-19, um, the feedback that we're getting, and it's anecdotal at the moment without getting full surveys, is there's a lot more people playing golf. You know, they've been playing through through the social mediums. Um, you can see a lot of people referencing golf. There've, there's been a lot of play, even though in two balls, four balls in WA, three balls, I think, in, in South Australia. But we've got to make sure that the new people that are re-engaging with the game or playing the game for the first time, and our members are telling us that, We've got new beginner golfers having one-on-one um, -on -one lessons at the moment. We've got to make sure we bring them back into our sport and we um, keep them in our sport and grow our sport out of this uh, this uh, pandemic that we're going through. Gav, from a, um, a tournament perspective, uh, we've been discussing it at some length here about what the schedule looks like on the US PGA Tour uh, and what that does to subsequent tournaments later in the year around the world, not just in Australia and New Zealand, but right around the world. Um, there's obviously a lot of pressure on the Australian Open and the Australian PGA Championship, and that's that doesn't even take into consideration the WA Open or WA PGA, New South Wales Open. Have you got any sort of line of sight about what you're hoping to achieve, or are we sort of uh, just waiting to see what happens? Yeah, we're, the team, you know, um, with Nick Dasty and Kim Felton, they're, they're working hard on this area, but but also with all our tournament partners, you know, Golf Australia and, and the, the smaller promoters that underwrite events as well. And um, we've got, you know, if we get back this year, we've had to uh, postpone, you know, PNG, um, Northern Territory, we're talking at the moment with their events. But the unknowns are we don't know, you know, what the social gatherings will look like. We don't know whether promoters, you know, for the televised event, the two big ones, whether they'll play behind closed doors or whether, you know, the the economic impact requires, you know, the 30, 40,000 crowds that go to those tournaments. But what we're working on is, to, you know, primarily to continue to focus on playing opportunities for our tour members and to make sure that, you know, there is a pathway and a member um, playing opportunity there as well. And also, what do the fans want when it comes to that time of year? But, Hazy, I've got a question for you. You know, your, your experience and having Mike um, on the uh, on the call as well. You know, what, what do you feel the schedule, you know, when you've got to take away from a crisis, open some really good opportunities? Is, it, is there an opportunity for us to to open up and revisit the schedule and, and look at some wraparound and, and change the order of merit season. You know, what what do you guys think uh, we should be looking at as well? Because we've got all these scenarios on the table at the moment. 
Well, for me, it looks like the European tour is going to get somewhat hurt out of this. So it would seem to me that it's a chance to reset the game outside of the United States and try and create one great tour with, with, with everyone involved in it, which is really almost what we've got now. South Africa, the Middle East, Asia, the Australian PGA is part of that, the Vic Open. So it would be good if, the, if, you, if you could create one great world tour outside of America. The, we've discussed this a bit with Jeff Shackelford that gave the problem with the tours is, if it's a problem, is that they're member-based organisations that work for the members, which doesn't necessarily coincide with what the spectators want to see, which is why the, the Premier Golf League is getting some legs, it seems, is that they're prepared to try and create a model that is white, that doesn't care about the players, but gives the fans what they want to see. So I'm not saying I agree with that, but there's got to be a mix in there somewhere where we can create a great tour outside of America. So perhaps this is a chance to make that happen. I don't know. I'm, you know, I, th I think we're all guessing at the moment, but if we could somehow get the Australian Open involved in that. and The, the, the problem I've seen in the past is that when we've had European tour events, we've had certainly... They've been their fields have been dominated by their lower ranked players. It's almost been it's been impossible to get Rory or Casey or Westwood or Darren Clark or the Harrington or the Luke Donald, the guys who are the big stars over there down here to play. And the other thing I think that we ought to be able to do this year for the Australian Open is to impress upon our best players in America how important it is to come here and play without demanding a fortune in appearance money, if anything, because I think that. You know, for, for the amazing living those four or five guys have made out of the game, you know, this is one time where we need them to come back and support the Australian Open and the PGA without having to write a big cheque for them to turn up. So I, I, I concur 100% with all that, Gavin, from a more domestic perspective. And more, not this is me as a golf fan rather than a Golf Australia person speaking. I'd like to see all the tournaments, including the amateur tournaments, rescheduled. Uh, as rather than what we've been doing because it's been what we've been doing for 50 years, I think this presents us a great opportunity to sit down and go, you know what, this would make more sense if it was at Easter or this would make more sense if it was in March or whatever it is. Uh, logically, you've got the Australian Open and the Australian PGA Championship together and, and logic would also suggest that they should be somewhere near the Victorian Open so that potentially, as Clayton says, we have a, a three-leg swing for the European Tour to come down here and very little reason for the big touring pros not to come down when they've had a, a rough truck trying to find tournaments to play. Uh, I'd love to see the, the, the women's and the amateur events also taken into that consideration too. I, I can't see any reason why we can't completely turn the calendar upside down. And if it looks better for Australian golf to play in February, March, April, then that's what we should do. Yeah, and I think, you know, coming out of this and the unknowns for the end of the year, these opportunities are going to have to come to the table. But I, I think, you know, one thing that we want to learn once we get through 2020 is not to just – there'll be no norm again. We know the normal won't be the normal. And I think here's the big opportunity for, for 2021, 2022. Um, if we're going to look at having to to change and, and a lot of the tours are 
going into rollover, wraparound seasons, change of order of merits. You know, we're on weekly calls at the moment with the European tourists there. As Mike said, they're, they're being challenged the most because they deal with 12 to 15 different countries, not one like, you know, the, the PGA Tour, but with all their unknowns, they're just looking at what they can deliver this year um, to keep their tour um, alive and surviving and, and the same with the Asian tour. Um, we haven't had a lot of contactors yet with the JTGO um, or with the Sunshine Tour, but whether the Sunshine Tour does get up and, and play any events this year, um, all those uh, are the unknowns that you know we're dealing with at the moment. So the PGA of Australia, Gav's obviously the, our link to the world. Um, have you had discussions with the European Tour about making a more sustainable block, a bigger block of tournaments within Australia on, the, on your schedule? Yeah, you know, the... the Current schedule allows, and you know the bigger tours are already in 2023. But I think things will change, you know, um, because things are going to have to change. And and with with countries and and events and broadcasting rights for those bigger tours. So, you know, the the first half of the year or the first quarter of the year has to be an opportunity where, when you look at their schedules now and into the future, they've they've always had playing opportunities from the European tour. Um, you know, the, the date after the Vic Open is still available and sitting there and, and that could change either way, you know, because coming in in that month of January leading in, you know, they're, they're in Saudi as well, but that doesn't, um, you know, stop us from having those discussions into the future. And and so I think that there's very um, much room or, or the need for open discussion about the scheduling and, and what we're going to do. And, and then even from the PGA Tour of Australasia, you know, when do we play and hold tour school? What's best for us? Because we've been on that calendar year and 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 Mike, I think it was on a, a different um, calendar or, or schedule. It used to finish in, um, in April many, many years ago, back in 2001. So we've been trying to to look into the past to find out why we did change to a, a calendar year from the PGA Tour of Australasia Order of Merit. So you know, they're the things we're looking at because let's get back to, to the strength we had many, many years ago. Yeah, the tour school I went to was in September. And then we, which was right at the start of the tour. And we played from uh, late September through to uh, the Australian Masters, which was the middle of February. But I think from memory, the order of merit is to finish at Christmas time, which made no sense. I think they changed it in the end. So the order of merit became... September to March, because but that but that was in the days when we were playing eighteen tournaments. Yeah, and I think you know we've got to be in a position to to listen to listen to the fans, listen to the promoters, and also listen to to do our government partners as well. You know, and and our partners for every event, and and that's what we've been. You know, the discussions that that our team have been having is is with all concerned at the moment, and and. Um, as I said, we've got what can we achieve in 2020, but I think the bigger picture is what we're talking about now. What is our tour going to look like in Australasia over the coming years and, and can we change it? And, and what you're saying about the leading amateur events and women, um, it's very important to us. You know, our collaboration with the ALPG and their tour, which is really exciting and be great to have that summer of golf that encapsulates all, all, all our best golf tournaments in the country. From a golf fan's perspective, you three, everything you've said for the last 10 minutes has been fascinating to listen to. And um, 
as a, from a fan's perspective, you can't wait to see what it might look like. For somebody who's never worked for the PGA or Golf Australia, I've been involved in, you know, in projects with both, but never worked. I've heard for 20 years about um, efficiency of, of operation. And, and, and um, Gavin, you've talked about you know, that and duplication. We all, and you've mentioned the PGA, Golf Australia, Golf New South Wales, Golf West Australia. And is now the perfect time to get everyone together with government, with the key funding bodies who, who pour go- money into the game of golf here in, in Australia, is now not, and this is a question for you three, is now not the perfect time to sort this out once and for all, to, to just, just work it out. Whatever the perfect model looks like, if we can get consensus on that, just, just now not the best time to make it happen? It is, it is the best time to make it happen. You know, from an operational point of view, that's just the, the the golf bodies getting together and making that happen. And that's good leadership and, and board directive. And I feel, you know, we've got that from both Golf Australia and the PGA at the moment and Golf New South Wales and Golf WA, they're, they're supportive and, and will fit in. And, and um, you know, hopefully at some stage they'll be under the one golf model. Um, from our government partners, I think it's important as well. And, and that's, you know, from a tour perspective and not the sports perspective, We've got to get all these partners aligned um, with uh, what's going to be best because, you know, the golf tournament has tourism impact attached to it. And, you know, for years and years it had the players being attached to the states as well. But that's opened up a little bit. So I think this is the time. And, and you know, once the government have done all their, their work and, you know, and, you know, dealing and managing the current crisis we're in, mm-hmm. I think it's up to the golf bodies now to have the plans in place to make that approach to government and say this is what we feel tournament golf should look like in Australia. I think it's important that, you know, from a professional side that, that you know, instead of duplicating the, the tour, the, the PGA focuses on professional events and, and the women focus on their professional events and we work in with the Golf Australia and the, and the state bodies to make sure that the duplication and overlap isn't there with operations and logistics um, from broadcasters through to staging through to everything we do. Um, we've, we've got to be now you know, very nimble and agile and we've got to be adaptable. But you know, the efficiency word I use a lot, but I think it's a must now for our sport to survive. Hazy or Clates, anything to add to either of that? Any of that? Oh, no, just one thing I thought, in, t- in terms of giving the fans what they want, the Vic opens the model for that. I think that's the best, not the best title in the country. You'd much rather win the PGA or the Open, but it's the best tournament, I think. You know, there's a lesson to be learned there in giving something that is really appealing to spectators and put, putting a great field of LPGA women together with a decent men's field is a, is a great concept, I think. If we could do more of that, that would be a good thing. Yeah, and, and it has worked, Mike. You know, when, you, when we talk to the players and when we talk to, to the officials and the supporters, you ask, you know, what was the best tournament they played all year and the, they get to play on great golf courses. Um, but, you know, I think that the atmosphere and, and what the Vic Open has brought to golf to have men and women playing on the same venue and the crowd experience and the fan experience is second to none. So, you know, that's something we've got to work on. It's uh, to find the right venues and then put the balance in place with the right venue with 36 holes and so forth. But I think there's opportunity to grow that format 
and and grow that around the country. Uh, Gav, great to catch up. Really appreciate you joining us on the show. It's uh, there's a lot going on, obviously, and I think anybody who loves golf in Australia um, at all levels. Uh, would be a bit excited about what it might look like, I reckon, um, coming out of the conversations that, that you're all having at the minute. Thanks for coming on and giving us a, an overview of all of that. Really appreciate it and good luck with everything in front of you. Thanks, Hazy. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> and thanks, Clay. So I appreciate any time to be able to speak to you all and uh, do what's best for our sport and the industry. Thanks good a on, lot. Gavin. Thanks, Gavin. Gavin Kirkman, the CEO of the PGA of Australia. There's a lot going on a lot of work to be done but it sounds like it's um, a potentially pretty exciting outcome at the end of it all we'll get a break out of the way here on inside the ropes more to come after this let's go back inside the ropes with golf australia Welcome back to the show. Gee, there's a there's a bit of meat on the bone isn't there with that Gavin Kirkman chat I mean um, is that that we should add, we should actually dedicate a whole show to this one day you know just what our all coming up with a blueprint for what our preferred model, independent of one another. Let's not talk to one another about it. Let, let's just turn up and go, right, this is what I reckon, this is what you reckon, this is what you reckon, and see what sort of consensus we arrive at and whether we're all on a familiar um, pathway to what, what an Australian summer or an Australian tour setup might actually look like. I couldn't agree with you more, um, and I and I think there'll there'll be a lot of difference of opinions, but I reckon you'll find a few familiar themes, common themes, I should say, perhaps. Uh, and and your questions, uh, Gav, at the end there, um, it, it, you know, I like to think that I'm not hamstrung here, but some t- in some respects I am. But I, I'll take yeah. my hat off, my GA hat off here, and just say, look, it's absolutely imperative because we all agree with what Gav said. That was really well put that we actually get off our ass here and do it. <laughs> this is a horrendous time in, in Australian history and world history. Let's make something of it positive. And, and there is no better time than to, to do everything that Gavin just said than right now. Here, here. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, maybe next week or the week after, we'll, we'll, we're on a bit of a roll and we're still waiting for for competitive golf to start. Maybe, maybe we can dedicate an episode uh, coming up. I know we've got a few bits and pieces before we wrap it up. Did either of you two see the um, Wayne Persky, Adam Scott, Maloney Golf Club thing during the week, the Instagram live stuff? Did either of you tune in and watch that? I didn't see it live. I saw little clips of it after it, but it looked like it was pretty good fun, didn't it? It's great. I couldn't I, – I, I know where you lie, Hazy. I forgot. I actually didn't know it was on. Checked my Twitter at about 7.30, saw some alerts to it. Tuned in at eight o'clock, wanting to see what it was. There were a couple of few little, few little sort of streaming glitches early, but they ironed themselves out um, after Scott had gone bogey, 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 and was three down after three. And fu- funnily enough, as soon as he started playing well again, the Instagram feed sort of strengthened <laughs> up a bit, and we didn't have any glitches after that. <laughs> but uh, it was good. It was really good, and it was an added. You know what? It was. A, it was a. We got to see a bit of. You know, everyone. I don't know Adam Scott. You blokes do. Everyone says Adam Scott, great bloke, one of the great blokes, darling this, great man that. We don't get to see enough of that. And we got to see a bit of it the other day. And um, it was, I just thought it was a massive tick to, to Persky, Mullaney, but Scott in particular for, for volunteering to do that. I, I thought it was great. At Mullaney area in the sort of, I guess, hinterland of the Sunshine Coast up from up above Nambour, really. It's just absolutely beautiful. And to see it like that with, you know, such goodwill, it was perfect. And I did want to mention one other thing with Adam Scott, Andy. I forgot to run this by you. But did you hear that? Did you see that story? It was in the Sydney Morning Herald last week about Adam Scott giving an old bloke a call. 
Oh, yeah, unbelievable. Incredible stuff. Uh, For those who didn't read it, it was a guy who's, you know, I don't know how best to put this, but, you know, his mental faculties are failing a little bit. He's got seven seven brain tumors, Hazy. Yeah, I'm trying to put this in a nice way, but, yeah, he's, he's in trouble, and he thinks that every day he goes and plays a competition round at his local club with Adam Scott. And what in reality he's doing is going out into his own shed and, mm. and just swinging golf sticks by himself. But he thinks in his own mind that he's playing golf with Adam Scott and he comes back in and regales stories to everyone about how he played with Adam Scott. Adam Scott picked up the phone the other day after a request from the gentleman's daughter and called the guy. And, you know, what a magnificent what a magnificent story that is. And the guy just talked to him. Adam Scott's thinking, oh, he's very familiar because in his mind, he's playing golf with Adam every day. But Scotty just talked him through it. It's just one of the great stories, if you can find it. Um, just just fantastic and a real good insight two times in a week of who Adam Scott is. Yep. No, nah, it was great stuff. Well done to him. Um, one last thing from me. I've got a thousand little things here. But the r and I saw this on chat. I know you're a good mate of Jeff Shackleford. Clates, and I'm not sure whether you've spoken to him about this this week, but on his website there was a, an article about some of the post-COVID-19 recommendations for play that had been reported um, via the r and And some of them had to do with double-handling scorecards and, you know, all that sort of stuff and, you know, from a transmission perspective. But one of them, and I want, I'd love to get your views on this, Clates, was preferred light because we don't want to have, you know, bunkers aren't necessarily going to be raked to the kind of pure um, uh, state that they're normally in these days, most courses around the world, we're going to be allowed to, or it's going to be recommended that we're allowed to have preferred lies in bunkers. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. I'm not sure why they can't have um, one guy with every group, as they do at the Open, raking bunkers for the players. So one guy walks around with a rake and rakes the bunkers. I don't know why that, they can't do that. Makes sense. Nor do I, nor do I know why players can't smooth their marks out. As Peter Thompson always advocated, get rid of the rakes, which is not a license not to smooth over your mess, but clean it up to the point where it's 90% as good as well done as a rake would do it and move on. So there's some unpredictability, there's some unpredictability about the hazard, but there's, there's way too much money being spent on maintaining bunkers. I think Metro's maintenance budget, 35% of it goes in maintaining bunkers and, and looking after the bunkers, which is complete madness. So I'm not sure, one, why they can't have the one guy with a rake with each group, or two, the players can't just smooth their footprints out and play. But having preferred lies in bunkers is, shows what um, sweet pedals those players are sometimes. And it was Scott, <laughs> Scott Stallings who didn't want to play because they were going to play with a flagstick in, and he had to putt with a flagstick in. So it's like, well, fine. I mean, if you don't want to play, don't play, but... If that's the biggest problem the world's facing in the next two years, then you need to get over yourself a little bit. <laughs> I read that story. It's crazy. I mean, that is it. You, you get the – whoever's marking – whoever the official marker is, they can go and pull the flag out. It, have one person – who and they wear gloves. One person designated with the group pulling the flag out. It's, it's not that big a deal, I don't reckon. Yeah, what no, do you right. there, there, there are 50 groups, so you need 50 people. You have 50 volunteers to – Break bunkers and hold the flag. Well, you just have one person on every green. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah, not that know, hard. No, no, it's ridiculous. Um, what do you got for us, Hazy? Andy, I just wanted to bring to people's attention, we put it out through the GA social media channels uh, over the weekend. 
Uh, it's called hashtag ISO trick shot. So ISO trick shot, all one word. Um, this is a competition. Obviously, it's entertaining way. There's been a lot of this sort of stuff going around uh, during the quarantining isolation period for COVID-19, but we've sort of formalized it a little bit here with, thanks to our friends at Callaway and made it into a big competition. So there is a web page on through the Golf Australia homepage. Um, so it's the normal bit then, hash, uh, slash, forward slash ISO trickshot hyphen competition. There's two things here. One, I want to encourage all listeners to get involved. And basically, we're asking people uh, to provide their own trick shot. Uh, and there's awesome prizes up for grabs with, from pe- our friends at Callaway. We want to see any and all trick shots from golf, taking on beer pong, ladder drills, chipping down the stairs, creating mini courses, anything and everything that's cool and creative. And I, I need to challenge you two both. I've already had a crack at the ladder challenge, which you that's saw correct. a week or so ago. Yeah. Need, to challenge, need to challenge you two both. Um, and the prizes are sensational. First prize set of three Callaway Jaws MD5 wedges and a dozen Callaway Chrome Soft triple pack of golf balls, which is $817 worth, if you don't mind. Second prize is an Odyssey triple track putter and a dozen Callaway Chrome Soft triple track golf balls valued at $467. Jeez. And the third prize is three runner-up prizes, actually. There's a dozen Callaway Chrome Soft triple track golf balls uh, each valued at $68. So huge input from Callaway. We're really grateful. But, yeah, we love to see all this stuff just for entertainment as much as anything else. So ISO Trickshot, hashtag ISO Trickshot, and tag in uh, Golf Australia so that we can uh, enter you in the in the competition. Can anyone see Rowan McNamee's shot, Paul, Paul McNamee's son? No. He hit a five-wooder out of the living room. They've got a house on the 11th hole of the National. <clears throat> he hit a, five, a full five-wood off the living room carpet, over the balcony, <laughs> into the greenside bunker, 225 yards away. So he's a certainty to win. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, <clears throat> thankfully, the Jack, you won't know Jack Bowes, I don't think, uh, Clates, but you will, Hazy, the young fella up at the Gold Coast Suns, AFL player, who hit an egg. Or oh, I saw that. That that has to be rubbish. Like that, Surely that's been debunked by now, hasn't it? That, that was a hell of a shot. It was a hell of a shot, and it looked so well done. It was incredible. I saw one this morning, Andy, from a guy called Andy Weeble, who's playing into some sort of deflecting thing that knocks the ball up in the air, hits it off that from about four metres, and as a little can comes down like a flying fox, the ball ricochets up into the can. It's a billion to one, and he's got it on video. It's magnificent. Well, I'm looking forward to you, Clates, doing this. This is right in your wheelhouse. I'm some kind of kooky thing like this It's Probably as far away from anything you've ever done in your life, but I want to see you. I want to see you come up with something like this for us. All right, let me see what I can do. All right. Uh, anything else? We don't forget to wriggle on here. Are, are we going to talk, Hazy? We're not going to park it for the fourth week in a row, are we? Your motor no. sent the letter through. Go. We, oh, oh, we no, we need to do this, Andy. Right, quickly. There's a gentleman who I haven't spoken to yet, only on email. His name is Joe Hassel, and he and he sent in a great thing. Lovely. And, and bloke. Lovely ripping one. bloke and then the passion of this is unbelievable and I you know when he first wrote it which was when I mooted it a few weeks ago um, it probably had a few more legs um, but he's, he's basically the idea is to take all the major championships from 2020 and play them in Australia or New Zealand or both over summer uh, this <laughs> up, upcoming summer and look it's, it, it's he described it in his own words in the email title as harebrained but I actually you know when you first read it, you think, yep, that is hair brain. Second thing is, 
Um, like, you know, it's such passionate about it. And we, and it is the once in a lifetime opportunity to do something like this. Cause we're never going to see the majors down here. We're never going to see a Ryder cup down here. And that was the gist to get a great Australian courses on the world map and actually give them a place to play the big events. Um, obviously we're not going to, the chances are that we're not going to have anyone even vaguely entertain that idea. Um, but I, I would love to see it, but the biggest problem from my perspective is, uh, and I had people asking me about this from an actual professional work perspective a few weeks ago. Could the Open be played at Royal Melbourne in December? That was before they cancelled it. Um, is the fact that we're not going to see uh, our borders open anytime soon? Yeah. I mean, I, I would think this is a great idea. And the detail that Joe Hassel's gone into is tremendous. And, you know, his passion's dripping off it. But the problem that we've got for all golf. Uh, he wants to see, you know, isolation on King Island for a couple of weeks of two tournaments there or something like that, is how we're actually going to get people to uh, our part of the world by by summer before things, you know, hopefully anyhow, get better for next year anyhow and we resume normality in inverted commas. So, Joe, I'm, I don't think I've sort of given it much uh, credit. I've given it a lot of thought. I just can't foresee how it would happen as good an idea as it is, as it is Andy. Nah. You'd be pleased to know, Clates, part of his proposal is to play the Open Championship at Barn Boogle. He thought well, that... Well, I was going to say, you'd play the Open at Barn Boogle, you'd play the Masters at Royal Melbourne. Correct. But I'm not thinking we've got courses narrow enough or bad enough with long enough rough to play either the US Open or the US PGA. <laughs> <laughs> so, he did mention, he mentioned um, Kidnappers or one of the great New Zealand courses... I suspect up on the North Island to, to host the Ryder Cup. Um, because it did, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Cape, yeah, yeah, okay. Cape, Cape Kidnappers would be the place for that. Which, uh, which would, would I think they're in a position over there where they can probably get people through the doors and make a bit of noise, and just from a local perspective, anyway. But uh, it's a highly ambitious and 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 entertaining notion, but one that's clearly never going to get off the ground, unfortunately. But what for him trying, Andy? What's interesting is, though, that we've got the perfect courses to replicate Augusta and Royal Melbourne and, and the British Open at Bamboogle and Royal Melbourne or Lost Farm. or, you know, But we've got nothing remotely like the courses they play the US Open or the USPGA on, really. Could we ever see anything down at Bamboogle or Lost Farm, Clates? Not really, because you never get spectators there in, in, in any numbers. And... I mean, I, I can see playing a great Australian amateur down there or something like that. But it's hard to see a pro golf tournament down there. Yeah. Yep. My last couple yep. of things is the LPGA Tour, as we touched on with Sue, had a major rejig of its schedule. We, there's a story on the Golf Australia website. You can check it out on lpgatour.com as well. Um, massive rejig on the on the women's calendar, even more so than the men's in some respects. Now, the, as Sue said, the Tour Championship out to December 20, the week after the US Open uh, in Houston. It, it, it's an incredible change. And the big thing I think that we did see was um, some of the sponsorship money of tournaments that were event- ultimately cancelled. Um, they've been sort of postponed for a while, but now cancelled. Some of the sponsors there have actually tipped their money into other tournaments so that the women can continue to play for a big prize pool. And in some some tournaments have been boosted significantly. Huge cooperation going on in that tournament to try and get something done. But it also puts pressure on the Australian events when uh, they're only going to be a handful of weeks after, in theory, anyhow, after the end of a really congested time on the LPGA schedule. 
Yep. No, no, more of the challenge that we're facing at the end of this and maybe even more of a reason as to why we pick up the Australian schedule from from entire Australian set schedule and move it into another slot. Somehow, somewhere, I don't know whether we – look, look, that, that, that is – we can't open that conversation up right nah. now because we have to get a and my last thing, Andy, before you go, is the ch- the change in eligibility um, adjustments for the for the current PGA tour or for next PGA tour season in the US, based on what's happening this year. And, and essentially, there's a million things to this, but essentially, um, there's going to be everyone who's eligible for a card this year is going to be eligible for a card next year, uh, and and the Corn Ferry players, which impacts a lot of young Australians, uh, don't have the normal right through. Um, winning into the top 25 to get in. So uh, there's going to be a lot of playing, if, if the Corn Ferry gets up and running, of course, um, for not much result. Um, I think there's uh, their, their prize would be eligibility for the opposite field events when WGC events are played next year. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a tough time for the Curtis Luck, Brett Colettas of the world, I think, for the next little while. It sounds like that. Um, Clyde, it's good to see you. Uh, Thanks, Barry. Speak to you soon. You too, Hazy. Yep. Good on your legs. Thanks, Lakes. Um, Thanks, Murray. Thanks, boys. We'll keep talking about it until we can watch it. Uh, great to have Sue on the show. Great to have Gavin Kirkman on the show. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 162.